I don't think I understood really uh, what it meant really to be loved by God just to be that there was a long time in my life where I thought that, you know, in order to love God and be loved by God, you had to do. And that was the most important thing is what you did. And then something really dramatic happened in my life. And first I had Sarah, and she just left with Lily. And um, then I had Matt. And all of a sudden, these two babies came into my life, and they hadn't done anything. In fact, they all they did was you know, things coming out of every end and wake me up 10 times a night and make me worry. And it was all of this stuff, but I fell in love with them instantly. And they've never made me love them more by anything they've achieved in their life than that first moment when they came into being And that's when I realized there's a big difference between understanding that God loves us and that we don't have to continue to work for God's love throughout our life. God could not love us anymore at the end of our life by anything we've achieved than God loves us that first moment when we took our first breath. And uh, my family's here, and I see... Uh, here comes Sarah. She's the reason. You can see her. And uh, and Lily. And I know Sarah and Austin have experienced the same thing with Briella and Lily. That when they, when these children came, how could that be an instant love affair? So that brings us to our scripture today. This is from Matthew 5, 13 through 20. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. And if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you'll end up in the garbage. And here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I just need to stop there just for a second. I want you to hear what he's saying. He's saying, by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. That's evangelism, just by being open. (laughs) Don't suppose for a minute that I've come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. I'm going to put it all together, pull it all together in a vast panorama God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after stars burn out and earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. Trivialize even the smallest item in God's law and you will only have trivialized yourself. But take it seriously and show the way for others and you will find honor in the kingdom. Unless you do far better than the Pharisees in the matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. And this is the word of the Lord. 
for me, as I've kind of indicated before, the first uh, uh, most intriguing and interesting part of this text for me, as I was reading it and kind of letting the text breathe inside of me, can be summed up in two words. It's, it's to be. To be. You are to be. God doesn't say you are to show the light, bring the light, shine the light. God says you are to be the light. You are to be the salt. And that's an intriguing proposition. And as I sat with the text, I, you know, it's like those, um, uh, those kind of funny uh, parodies of acting school where they say, be the tree, be it. But this is Jesus telling us, this is what you are to be. So as I was sitting there, all of a sudden, just praying about this text, I conjured up two memories that I have. Two memories that I have of salt and light. Because when Jesus gives a metaphor or an an allegory or an analogy or any of this type of stuff, it really sometimes loses itself in the fact that we are 21st century people, and, and Jesus was speaking to first century people, but the analogies and such, we need to grab hold of what those were saying and what they were meaning in order to get the import and the weight and the gravitas of what Jesus is talking about. So these memories came to me of like, what does it mean to be salt? What does it mean to be light? I grew up in the low desert. I've, I've shared that before in uh, uh, the Imperial Valley in a small farming community uh, named Brawley. It's two hours east of San Diego. It's um, 22 miles north of Mexicali, the Mexican border, and 60 miles southeast of the Arizona border, Yuma. So you can see it's right plopped down in the very corner of California, as far as you can get. And in the summer, it was, it was very common to rise to 115, 120 degrees. That was just common. Every summer we had the picture in the paper with the eggs cooking on top of the car, and that was just kind of what we did. But I can tell you it was really hard to be a teenage girl in Brawley, because if you tried to lay out in the sun and get a tan, um, you, you were more likely to end up in the hospital with heat stroke. So there were a lot of pale people in Brawley, I can tell you that. And this is a true fact. We carried potholders around to open the car doors with. That was just what we did. We all walked out of the house with oven mitts and op- so we could open and my mom could drive, uh, touch the steering wheel. And we always had a towel with us to put you know, underneath our bottoms wherever we went. And most people at that time, because I'm uh, of another generation... Uh, we had what they call 440 air conditioners in all of our cars. You know what that is? That's, that's four windows down, 40 miles an hour. That was the air conditioners we had in our cars. And if you were lucky, you had a swamp cooler. And what a swamp cooler is, is just blades that go around and catch water and then throw it at you. Just like that. So there were a lot of wet people in Brawley. I can tell you that. A lot of pale, wet people in Brawley. In the summer, we would go outside as children because only children will go out to in the snow and not need a jacket and uh, be able to go into frigid water and then also be able to go into unbearable heat. Only children. And so we would go outside, and after we'd been outside for about an hour, my mom would call us over for our snack. And we were so excited. We would run over for our snack, and our snack was 
wrapped in a paper towel, an ice cube with a lot of salt doused on it. And we loved it. We absolutely loved it. I mean, and we would lick it for as long as it would last. It wasn't until I was much older and I was, uh, I remember driving, driving by a, a corral because there are a lot of farms and a lot of cows and whatever. There's this big block of white out in the middle of the corral and I, I asked my dad, what is that? He goes, it's a salt lick. I said, what's a salt lick for? Well, in the summer, you know, the cattle need to go over and get a lick of salt because they're, you know, they're losing all their salt and water, and it also reminds them to drink. And I'm like, my mom was giving us a salt lick. <laughs> all of a sudden, I mean, she was. She knew what, what we needed. And what we needed was salt. We couldn't do without it because, funny enough, salt is really important. And you know that sometimes we crave it, we get addicted to it and all that. So, but a little salt goes a really long way. Salt is a small thing with a great value. Now remember, as we're talking about this, Jesus says us to be salt. So what does that mean? Just a little bit of it can make a big difference. It only adds flavor. By itself, it's not that tasty, but what it does is it adds flavor to everything around it. It enhances its environment. It lifts up the flavors of the world. It, it brings out the very goodness in everything around it. I mean, isn't that just marvelous? And Jesus says, you be that. You bring out the good things in, in, in the people around you. You do that. You be that in the world. It doesn't make people any different. It doesn't turn a potato into a tomato. But it makes a potato the most potato it can possibly be the best version of itself. And the Christian and the Christian community, we have that opportunity to do the very same thing. We can bring our own flavor to the mix of anything, anywhere we go. We bring this salt light, this, this taste. It's flavored. Everything we do is flavored by this, this godness. We can work to enhance and bring out the goodness in other people. And that says a lot about what we bring to the table because you know how you can bring out, you can push buttons with other people and bring out the worst. But what, do you, what does it take to bring out the best in another person? In other words, Jesus says, you go out and make the world more savory, more delicious, more beautiful. You do that. You be that in the world. If we don't do it, Jesus says... What are we good for? That's the question that Jesus asked. That's kind of a pointed question. And he makes no bones about it. You are the salt and you are the light. And in this particular text, it's really interesting because even the grammar has a big punch to it. Because here, the indicative is made the basis for the imperative. What does that mean? That means what it's saying is you are salt, yes, but for the earth not just for yourselves. So we're supposed to be salt for the earth. We bring out, as the text says, the God flavors in all the world. You are the light, but not, for the whole, not just for yourself, but for the whole world, not for a closed fellowship. And so what basically Jesus is telling us is 
that we are to be good friends, that we are to be good family and, and, and good leaders, that we are to, to be in love and to be grateful and to be vulnerable and, and to be intimate with each other and to be kind and to be generous. Be who we are as children of grace and light. That's what we're supposed to do is be who we are and let who we are reflect that we belong to a Savior, that we belong to Jesus as truth and light. When I was um, eight years old, my family was crossing back from, we had been in Oklahoma because my grandparents had been sick. So we were coming back from Oklahoma and we were crossing the Chihuahuan Desert. And that Chihuahuan Desert is down in New Mexico. And uh, we were, you know, using that 440 air conditioner to the best of our ability. And you have two kids who are whining in the back seat and, you know, mom and dad in the front seat. And it's really, it's really hot. We're right outside of like Los Alamos and Almogordo and all of that, white sands. And all of a sudden we see this sign. And the sign says, Carlsbad Caverns. How many, have any of you ever been to Carlsbad Caverns? Yeah. Carlsbad Caverns, and um, we didn't know anything about it, but it was the middle of the summer, and we were hot, and right then a cave sounded pretty good. So we pulled in there, and we went up to uh, Carlsbad Caverns, and in those days, Carlsbad Caverns was not commercialized at all, but there were a lot of people there. But there were no elevators. There were no really a lot of lighting. You had to walk down it, um, and it's about 900 feet down. And you just come to this big gaping hole in the ground, and then you start walking down. That's, and that's what it's like. So you can imagine being a child. My parents saying, yeah, we're going to walk down in this big hole. And, of course, it was also home for over 400,000 bats. And so with, inside there were great big rooms where... The, um, there would be great hills that would be in the middle that would be larger than, higher than this ceiling and as big as this room, and it would be bat dung. Hardened, of course. But, uh, and, but there were huge rooms with stalactites and, and stalagmites growing up and down, and it was really, it was absolutely incredible. And as you go down, it, become, it continues to get colder and colder and wetter and more wet as you go down and you go further and it starts to get darker and darker and darker and they have these little lights strung up like mining lights and so and the guard and the guide had a flashlight as well and I remember starting to get kind of nervous so I was holding my dad's hand as tight as I could and suddenly we came to this small natural uh uh, amphitheater where you ran around a corner and all of a sudden you leveled out. We were about 830 feet down and there was a, like an amphitheater there and the, and the guide said, okay, everybody sit down. So we all sat down and he said, now I want to prepare you. There's no light down here. So we're going to turn off the lights and when we turn off the lights, you could get really dizzy. So don't stand up and you could get, uh, it could scare you, so just hold on tight to each other. Well, this was just wonderful. 
I was just so excited. And my sister was too. We were like, what's going to happen? And they turned off the lights. And let me tell you something. If you've never been in a situation like that, you do not know what darkness is. It was a kind of darkness that authors call Stygian darkness. It was a kind of darkness, actually, that happened when um, in the Old Testament, when during the plagues with Moses in the Old Testament, when during that Old Testament plague, the darkness came, what they said was it was the kind of darkness where there was absolutely no light, no sun, no stars, and you could breathe it. It was so heavy and encased you. And then later on, it was that darkness on the day of crucifixion when Jesus died, and the darkness, it was dark for three hours, and it was deep darkness. And very few people know what that deep darkness is like because we have so much ambient light. Even out in the desert, you can see from a distance ambient light, but down in the depths of the earth, there's no light. And in the darkness of a tomb for three days, that Stygian darkness, that's what it was like in Carlsbad Caverns. And I'm like, this is darkness. And then we started up, back up again. And I, when we walked out into that blazing sun of the New Mexico summer, I realized that I was so intrigued by darkness, but I didn't belong there. That darkness was not something that you belong to. Darkness was something that you experience and you come out of. And it's then that you begin to appreciate and be so glad for the light. Because light enables us to see things, and it's only because of light that color is possible. Can you imagine? It's only because of light that color is possible. And, of course, light helps vegetation to grow. It helps, you know, uh, chloroform and all that. Is that chlorophyll, chloroform? Uh, Anyway, all of that stuff. All of that there science stuff (laughs) makes all that happen. It's wonderful. And sun also lifts our spirits, makes us want to, it makes us have more energy. It's, we respond to it. And, and with it, we flourish. You are the light. In ancient cultures, they worshiped the light and the source of the light. What they thought was a source was the sun. In ancient times, they paid soldiers with salt. That's, why, that's where we get our, our word salary from, from the Latin sal. They paid soldiers with salt. You are the salt. You are the light. You know, perhaps we haven't really come all that far from our ancient ancestors. And maybe the most important contribution that light makes for us is the fact that with light we are less afraid we are, when light is present, we aren't so afraid. Park under the light, my dad used to say. Be sure to park under the light. Turn your porch light on. Keep the lights on in the house. Take a flashlight with you. We feel better, and we see better, and we respond better in the light. You are the salt, and you are the light. I don't know about you, but when I began to experience those two memories... 
And I realized the responsibility of being. Well, I, I thought, I, maybe I need to think about this a little. I am to be. But then again, maybe I didn't need to think about it. It's not something I needed to memorize. It wasn't something that I had to pass a written examination over. I don't have to wear a uniform, although the scouting uniforms are very cool. I'm not going to be judged by a panel, or I'm not going to need to audition for it. What I need to do is I just need to be the very best version of who I am. The very best version. And to be honest with you, I believe that I have the very best chance of being the best version that I am when I admit what Anne Lamott says is the three most terrible truths of our existence. And that is that we are so ruined and that we are so loved and that we are in charge of so little. When I am those things, then I can be the very best version of myself. In other words, when I'm willing and able to approach life with humility and gratitude and trust in something that is far greater than myself, in something that is far more beautiful than myself, in something that is far more true than I could ever be when I'm able to be humble enough to recognize that my small story fits into that larger story. Oh, my word. The possibilities. And that, that large story, I believe, is God's story. And God's story, which is the story, is the story that we are to love each other, that we are to love ourselves, and we are to love God. And we're, we're, we're also not supposed to be able to find the beginning and the end of any of those it's not, there's no, I love God, I love myself, I love you. It's not supposed to be able to make out where it stops and ends. It's a, it's a beautiful nest of interrelationship between all. It's really quite wonderful. And because we are asked to love and then Jesus goes on to say, I'm not here to do, get rid of anything. I'm here to make it full and real. What is the heart of the law? The heart of the law is love God, love yourself, and love your neighbor. That's the heart of the law. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth, the text says. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors and the God flavors. Let us be salt and let us be light. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the story. Thank you for the, the elements that are so natural, that are made extraordinary when talked about by you. You have loved us. You have held us. We could not do any more to make you love us any more than we did when we took our first breath. And for that, we are grateful. Lord Jesus, you are the beautiful story that our story fits so beautifully into. And we thank you. Amen.